Get Sleepy is a production of Slumber Studios and is made possible thanks to the generous support of our sponsors and premium members. If you'd like to listen ad-free and access weekly bonus episodes, extra long stories, and our entire back catalogue, you can try out Premium free for seven days by following the link in the episode notes. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Get Sleepy, where we listen, we relax, and we get sleepy. I'm your host, Thomas, and I really appreciate your company tonight. If you're a fan of our sleepy fairy tales, you may have listened to Enchantment of the Swans, which was a retelling of a popular Brothers Grimm story. In that tale, a princess takes on a nearly impossible task, sewing shirts out of daisies in order to save her six brothers who've met with an unfortunate magical fate. Throughout the fairy tale, there is a helpful black bird. More than one listener wrote to us asking what happened to the crow. Tonight, with a bit of Halloween-style flair, we're going to learn more about that crow, delving into its life in the enchanted forest and an annual All Hallows' Eve tradition this mysterious bird observes. Thank you to the marvelously talented Alicia Stephan for writing this story that I have the pleasure of reading. The very best way to listen to Get Sleepy is on our supporters feed, Get Sleepy Premium. There, you'll have access to our entire catalogue of over 600 stories and meditations, including extra-long episodes and series compilations, and it's all completely ad-free. Plus, every single Thursday, we release a new bonus episode exclusive to the premium feed. Tomorrow night, Nikki will be reading a simple, relaxing tale all about a day of pampering at a salon. This week, we'll also have a special stitched version of parts one and two of tonight's fairy tale coming out exclusively to premium on Friday night. It will be a nice long episode, giving you ample time to drop off while you listen. The first seven days of your premium subscription are free, so why not give it a try and see if you agree that it's the very best companion for a good night's rest. For more information on all of our premium plans, visit getsleepy.com support or just follow the link in the show notes. Thank you for your support. Now, my friends, before we begin our story, let's make sure we're feeling calm, comfortable, and relaxed. Though there are plenty of people who seem to be able to fall asleep just about anywhere and at any time. For many of us, myself included, we need a bit of time to transition 
so remove any pressure you feel like you're putting on yourself to fall asleep. Know that you'll eventually drift off when your body and mind are ready. Just enjoy the coziness of your bed for now. The opportunity to lie here in peace and tranquility. And hopefully, you can enjoy the sound of my voice and the story I'm about to tell. It means the world to me that you're here listening. So please know that I'm grateful for you. And as is the case any time you choose to listen, I hope we can repay the kindness of your company by helping you get a good night's rest. Enjoy a nice deep breath in now. And then, ease the air gently back out. Now, picture a place where all stories begin with Once Upon a Time. We're going to go past the usual parts of those well-known tales and walk a little deeper into the forest tonight. This is where our story begins. To utter the words, once upon a time, is to foreshadow a story of magic. When we hear that familiar phrase, we know there will be heroic and brave characters, or that we're about to discover an enchanted castle resting under a spell. But beyond the royal matches and courageous quests of those well-known tales, once upon a time, there was an even deeper magic. It thrived quietly, unobserved, in the wild places beyond the castle walls. There, it was free to do its work out of the sight of normal people. Some of the unsung heroes in the world of Once Upon a Time were familiarly known as witches, and it's no secret they didn't have a very good reputation. Cast as the villain in more than one story of princes and princesses, These wise women of magic were often regarded with suspicion and mistrust. However, anyone who truly learned the secrets of their arts also knew that witches did a lot of good, even if they rarely received any credit. While they were solitary figures by nature, these dames of the enchanted world did not do their work without companionship. Although human visitors were scarce, almost every witch eventually adopted some type of animal familiar. 
Now, we tend to think of witches and cats as being linked. But the truth is that cats are creatures of civilization. They live and thrive near people. In keeping with their taste for privacy, witches prefer animals who crave the secrecy of the hidden places where a wise woman can best do her work. This brings us to our story. You'll find that it's about one such animal familiar. This witch's companion happens to be a very intelligent crow. You may have first met this mysterious bird as a small player in another story. But now you will hear the bird's own beautiful, dark tale. Let's go back to a new kind of beginning. It starts with the practitioner of good magic who claimed the crow as her friend. Once upon a time, in a humble part of the world of kings, queens, and castles, there was an ordinary village girl. Her name was Hester. As a child, She was very bright and inquisitive. Her family was not wealthy, and there was no opportunity for her to go to school. However, she applied herself with enthusiasm to any craft or trade that she undertook. Household tasks bored her, but she could be seen asking questions of the merchants, the tradespeople, and the wandering travelers who passed through the town. Hester was a good girl who tried to be responsible. However, once in a while, she was late completing her chores when she lost track of time somewhere. There was so much to see out in the world that staying in her parents' house or in the small gardens around it felt stifling. One chore that Hester liked best was caring for the family's small flock of geese. She was quite good at it, and she seemed to be more successful than anyone at keeping the birds happy and getting them to produce lots of eggs. In general, she had a very soft spot for animals, and could often be found lingering with a neighborhood cat or tossing crumbs to a squirrel. Unfortunately, all the curiosity in the world couldn't get a girl like Hester any big opportunities in the villages of far away and long ago. They were such provincial, isolated places. As she grew up, it became more and more obvious that her parents would soon expect her to marry. After all, she was a very pleasant young lady, and she would make a respectable housekeeper. But Hester wasn't interested in a future as a wife, tending her cottage in the same village where she was born she had a growing curiosity about the world, 
and she dreamed of setting off on a dusty road out of town and seeing what lay beyond. Alas, she couldn't imagine how to do that. Everyone she had ever known lived right where they'd been born. Who among them could tell her how to see the world? It happened that one day, a kindly old woman came to town. She was selling medicinal herbs in the market out of a small pushcart. As she always did, Hester lingered inquisitively around the woman, asking about the benefits of one mixture after another. The lady was very obliging, explaining them all. With each herb or remedy explained, Hester's excitement grew. How marvelous, she thought, to so deeply understand the workings of these gifts from nature. Wistfully, she reflected that she would like to learn this important art. Later, as she was tending to her geese, Hester saw the same old woman walking away from town and taking the small path into the forest. All at once, she was seized with the desire to follow her and perhaps beg the lady to teach her. Hester knew that her parents would be fine without her help around the house. She would have been getting married and leaving soon anyway. Why settle for a future as a wife when she could be a botanist and a healer? With the impulsiveness of youth, she decided to follow on the heels of the mysterious old woman. As night fell and her parents went early to bed, Hester quickly packed a little bit of food and a change of clothing in a cloth bag and slipped out the door. Taking a lantern from the front step, she hurried off in the direction of the forest path. She felt sure that with her youthful speed, she could catch up with the woman on the trail through the woods. Hester walked boldly into the embrace of the forest, the lantern casting a glow to light her way. She'd been down this path many times before and had played in the woods as a child, but it was not very long before she'd traveled further than she had ever done before. With the leaves rustling in the darkness and the moon casting an eerie light through the gnarled tree branches, she began to doubt herself a little bit. She pushed down her worries. At this point, she told herself, she must surely be catching up. Such an elderly woman could not go very fast, she reasoned. She was sure that if she kept up her pace, she would come upon the stranger fairly soon. Hester imagined stumbling upon the lady any minute, perhaps curled up by the smoldering ashes 
of a cosy campfire. The path became faint, and eventually Hester's lantern burned out. Having come too far to turn back, the girl bravely put one foot in front of the other, using the silvery moonlight and her sense of touch to guess where the cleared path continued. She was now deep in the forest. As the shadows danced around her, playing tricks on her mind, she began to truly regret this adventure. But there was no good place to stop now. Hester pushed onward, and eventually she was rewarded by the lifting of the darkness when the grey light of dawn finally relieved the gloom around her. Just when Hester felt she couldn't walk another step, she heard a woman singing. It was a happy little tune, and the exhausted girl could tell that it was coming from somewhere nearby, just around the bend. The trail widened ahead of her, and following it, Hester stepped into a clearing. In the center, a snug little white cottage sat nestled under a shingled roof. Chickens pecked away around the garden. There was a wooden rack standing off to the side on which bunches of herbs were hung, drying. Smoke curled from the chimney of the house, suggesting a welcoming fire was ablaze in the hearth. As she gazed upon the cozy scene, dull and tired, she felt oddly like she was suspended in a dream. Blossoms drifted lightly through the air, borne upon sweet breezes. The very trees seemed to lean closer to one another, as if sheltering a secret. From somewhere in the yard, the delicate sound of wind chimes floated towards her. Hester didn't know how long she stood there, but she was pulled from her reverie by the sight of the old woman she'd been following, who emerged from the cottage. The lady saw her, and appeared oddly unsurprised to find Hester in her garden. Gazing thoughtfully, the kindly-looking lady stood drying her hands on an apron that was tied around her waist. She seemed to be considering the girl carefully. Hester didn't say a word, examining her as well. She took in the woman's long grey hair, tied back loosely, and her well-worn shoes and simple clothing. More than anything, she felt her intelligent gaze appraising her from head to toe. Before Hester could formulate an explanation, for her uninvited visit, the woman nodded as if satisfied. Then, behaving like it was the obvious course of action, 
she told Hester to come along inside and have some breakfast. This was the beginning of Hester's new life, for even she hadn't really thought deep down that she was merely following the old woman to make a short visit. A bed was made up for the new arrival, and the girl settled right into life at the cottage. In no time at all, she was sharing the daily chores and learning everything she could about herbs and medicine from her new mentor. Hester felt very at home, living in the little house in the woods. Each day was an adventure as she slowly came to understand the mysteries of the forest, the habits of the animals, the phases of the moon, and even the scents on the wind. These became important sources of information for her as she learned the ways of the wilderness and how to best harness its bounty. She and the old woman got along quite well, as they had similar temperaments, and the younger woman was able to assist her elder with many tasks that had become more difficult for her as she advanced in age. As the weeks and months went on, the wise old lady began to impart greater secrets to her young apprentice. The girl learned that her teacher could interact with nature in such a way that some would call it magic. To her, however, casting a spell was merely understanding the ways of the woods and how her feminine power tapped into her surroundings. And first and foremost, this the wise woman stressed, she always used her knowledge for good. Alongside her, Hester gradually became a benevolent wise woman as well. Superstitious gossips might have called both of them witches. But the labels of less insightful people didn't much bother them, and they rarely appeared in town. One of the old lady's favorite daily habits was to feed the birds. Most people are suspicious of crows, accusing them of bringing bad luck, or perhaps rightly so, of stealing food. The good witch in the forest, however, was on excellent terms with an entire flock of these intelligent creatures. Each morning, she would scatter some stale bread for them, inviting them to linger in the garden. In return, they brought her small gifts of appreciation. Shiny things, colorful things. Sometimes, Hester could swear they brought her secrets that they whispered to her as she walked among them. More than once, her mentor had stood amid the crows, with one bird resting on her shoulder, and nodded as if she were having a conversation. 
a single crow in particular separated from its flock and stayed around the cottage all the time. Many people don't realize how sensitive these birds are, but Hester came to understand how satisfying its companionship could be. Listening, helping, or just sitting and observing, the friendly bird seemed to be a part of almost everything the wise woman did there at the little house in the woods. There was a special bond between the majestic dark bird and the good witch. The seasons continued in their unending cycle, and one year blended into another. Then, one day, the witch told Hester that the time had come when she would leave the cottage in the woods and journey to live with her sisters. She was leaving the cottage to Hester to carry on her work. The younger woman was nervous about the idea of losing her mentor. After all, she protested, she had so much to learn. At this, the grey-haired old lady shook her head kindly. She told Hester that she underestimated herself, and that she had learned everything she needed to know in order to take her place as the wise woman of the forest. She urged her student to trust herself and what she had become, because she was worthy of this place and its precious magic. Hester woke the next morning, and the old woman was gone. The new mistress of the hidden cottage took her tea out into the garden and watched the clearing lighten as the sun rose above the forest. While she stood there, she grappled with the idea that she was now the woman who lived in this cottage, that she was the witch of the woods. In this way, she watched the daylight brighten the land around her. All of a sudden, she was distracted from her thoughts to see the old black crow, which had landed on a nearby branch, cocking its head to the side. It regarded her. Their eyes met, and somehow she knew that this was the last time the old crow would be there. Just as her mentor had retired to the comfort of family, the crow would do the same. She scattered half of her breakfast to the faithful bird, and the crow took it daintily. Then, With a flurry of its raven-colored wings, it was gone. But if Hester feared being alone, she need not have worried. She didn't realize it, but even as she became mistress of this enchanted hideaway, a new familiar would bind itself to her a new partnership would be forged 
she would not be solitary for long. You see, what many people fail to realize about crows is that they live in dedicated family groups. Staying together for generations, they even share the upbringing of baby crows. The older brothers and sisters will help tend the nests when their parents are gone. Crows will flock together, sometimes in the thousands, to sleep at night. These groups of birds are unique to all others, having their own dialect. What might sound like a plain call or a click or a rattle to a human ear is nonetheless a language of love. On the occasions when crows must join new flocks, they also have to learn a new dialect in order to fit in. As intelligent as they are, and as much as they are bound to one another, crows also pass down knowledge from one generation to the next. The lessons of life and the warnings of the elders benefit their children and their children's children. And that is how Hester came to have a trusty new friend. When her mentor bequeathed Hester the cottage, the elder crow returned to its flock for good. However, the retiring crow passed the witching legacy onto one of its children. One of the most intelligent, the most sensitive, and the most curious of the old crow's offspring was dispatched with the sacred duty of assisting Hester in her work. To help balance the humors of the woodland, to draw upon its bounty for healing, to create wonder and inspiration where there was none. Those were the lifelong pursuits of the good witches and their companions. This mission the young crow gladly accepted. It was, after all, an honor. So it was that one morning soon after, when Hester had fed the crows their crumbs, and almost all of her avian visitors had taken wing and gone on their way, one remained behind. Perching itself on a stool near her front door, it watched Hester, turning side to side with its shiny black head. Regarding it with a practiced eye, she knew her initiation to the world of wise women was complete. She and the crow would not be separated now. Hester and the crow grew in their wisdom and their friendship as the years went on. Just as her predecessor had noted, the younger witch was ready to claim her position as the benevolent presence of the woodland. She had learned so many important lessons from the older woman, 
and the most important one of all was that the forest was her best teacher. Even as Hester continued the traditions of her mentor, she made her own discoveries using secrets that she had learned from the whispering voice of nature. Here, far from the interference of humans, the ways of the old forest were at their most powerful. Hester occasionally took her remedies to town, offering relief to more than one ailing grandfather or feverish child. When people lost their direction in the forest, she found ways to silently help them find their footing again. When grieving hearts crossed her path, she tried her hardest to heal them. Through it all, she did everything in her power to protect her secret world and the animals who made it their home. In all of this, the crow was her main helpmate. It delivered messages, surveyed the land from the sky, and kept her apprised of goings-on in the forest. In this way, the seasons waxed and waned, and she and the crow grew older together. But there was one time of the year when the crow always left Hester to her own thoughts. On this evening, it would make an overnight pilgrimage to its flock, because the bird's family was its source of strength. At the time many know as All Hallows' Eve, that moment when autumn reaches its most profound stillness and humans let loose their traditions to make sense of the dark. That was the night that the crows would meet. At dusk on that day, when Hester had closed her door against the cold and sat rocking by her hearth, the crow would leave its perch and, with her blessing, vanish into the dark forest. It would caw jubilantly as it swiftly cut through the thick canopy and into the cloudy skies, rising up above the tops of the trees. It would flap its powerful jet-black wings, soaring confidently amid the deepening gloom. Underneath it, a million orange, yellow, red, and brown leaves whispered in unison. Some would be found clinging to their branches for one more hour or one more night. Others were already letting go to make their descent to the forest floor. Then, following an intuition as old as its lineage, the bird would glide to a special place where it knew its family would be found. Diving down again, slicing deftly into the woods, it would gracefully alight on the crumbling stone wall of an abandoned house. 
This was a place so overgrown with ivy and trees, its paths so long been obscured and erased, that it was quite forgotten by civilization. Any human memories were too long distant for it to be found by people, but the crows were still there. And what a flock they were, a convergence of many families known to each other for time out of mind, a group cemented by the great-great-great-grandparents of the birds who now gathered in this spot. Like a living manifestation of midnight, they gently descended upon the old stone ruin in an ebony blanket. Then, turning to greet each other, these crows of long acquaintance would begin exchanging their latest news. One elder of the flock might relate how she had soared high above the treetops for many miles, observing the little villages, each separated from the other like an island in a sea of trees. She would marvel at the knowledge that these people could live their entire lives within their little towns in just this manner. Humans were so limited in their scope, she might say, woefully. A younger, more daring crow would tell its brothers and sisters about the summer journey it had made to reach the edge of the forest and see the ocean. When the land-dwelling bird got there, he would have seen a vast stretch of glittering blue water and encountered many large white gulls. The gathered flock would chatter and exclaim at this wondrous story of faraway places. One very humorous member of the flock would probably tell a story of how he and some friends had alarmed people upon the road by throwing down nuts to crack upon the path at their feet. Then, while the people were gathering their wits, the crows might have banded together to snatch bread from their wagons. This story of foolish behavior would, of course, elicit mild disapproval from the older generation of birds who were listening in. One memorable year, Hester's crow shared the most amazing story of all. In service to its mistress, the faithful bird had tried to help a group of royal princes who had accidentally become enchanted and turned into swans. Unable to reverse the spell, Hester had asked her familiar to show their sister a method to break the enchantment. Alas, the crow related, the task she had taken on was to be a long one. The bird would have to keep watch over her for some time. In the years following, The crow would tell them how the story had ended with triumph and love. At this type of story, 
there was much expression of admiration among the gathered families. The role of a witch's familiar was a sacred and important one. The valiant efforts of one member of the family brought status to all the rest. When all the year's stories had been told, and the greetings fully exchanged, the group always took flight together. Rising in a heavy mass of feathers, the crows dispersed into the air, once again levitating above the trees and reshaping themselves into a dark mantle. As the wispy clouds hid and then revealed the moon, the individuals in the sea of birds flapped their wild wings and headed across the thick carpet of trees, watching All Hallows' Eve unfold beneath them. Within the forest, the animals were alive to the oncoming chill of winter. They scurried and climbed. They burrowed and buried. They took in the peculiar mixture of dead leaves from the ground and wood smoke from the towns. They made haste to get ready for the oncoming lean season, because they sensed it in the air. Soaring over the towns, the crows could observe the strange customs of the people below. There were bright, crackling bonfires to be seen lighting up the farms and the villages. Cakes and other harvest-time delights were being shared and celebrated. Costumes were being paraded about, partly to hide their wearers from evil spirits, and partly to entertain their neighbors. Jack-o'-lanterns grinned their unapologetic and lopsided smiles, illuminating the darkness with their foolishness. All this the crows quietly observed from up high. Under the cover of darkness and in the midst of these revelries, They were invisible, masters of stealth, creatures of the deepest night, but also brothers and sisters, parents and children, and keepers of a tradition older than those that these villagers knew. Just as the humans sensed the turning point in the year, so did the animals. It's just that the birds truly understood that the season's most profound purpose was to reconnect with those who came before and bring them full circle to those who were present. On this night, the flock came home to roost. When they had surveyed their forest territory, and the night of All Hallows' Eve was waning, the crows always turned and moved homeward. The night would be quiet now as the human revelers disappeared 
behind their front doors. The towns extinguished their flames, and the villagers returned to their warm beds, dreaming of tricks and treats. In the forest, the nocturnal animals went about their usual tasks, hooting and scurrying, hunting and gathering. Then, some years, the clouds pulled away, and with dawn imminent, the moon appeared briefly at her finest. The luminous glow from the sky might reflect on the waterways below, creating silvery veins that twisted through the sparser areas of the landscape. Looking down upon it, the crows would have a feeling of peace. All was as it should be in the world below. Soon, one small family flock always began to break away at a time, heading off to their own resting place. Eventually, as the reunion dispersed, Hester's crew would smoothly diverge from the remaining birds and glide over the treetops in the direction of her cottage. When the journey ended, the bird would find the garden was still quiet. The crow would alight on the stool near her front door and rest. Dawn would be at the moment when the sun was just beginning to paint the sky. The crow would watch as the heavens filled with all the pastels that heralded the daylight. Blues and greys seamlessly transitioned to yellow, orange, and pink. But with the day, there was a lingering sense of melancholy. The crow always felt that with the departure of night, the most secret places of the wilderness were temporarily lost. The cover of darkness was such a good friend to magic. But Hester did her best work in the sunlight. The crow's most earnest wish was to continue to help her in manifesting the good magic that followed her wherever she went. Until this time next year, the crow would dedicate itself to that task. And now, Because these wild places must remain hidden, we will leave Hester and her crow at this point in the story, to live their lives in peace. You must realize, of course, that it's never really at an end. For every enchanted prince or princess, for every distant kingdom, and for every quest, there is another, deeper fairy tale underneath. The true current of magic 
doesn't end with a palace wedding or a broken spell. It is a river that never runs dry. And that tale will go on forever. <laughs>